Thank you, Pastor Smith. I've, uh, your pastor and I have been meeting every morning for all of this year almost. Uh, well, actually, I've been reading his devotional book and following along with him. And that's one thing I love about my library is that no matter who it is or how far away they are, they may even be with the Lord. I can still uh, pull from my shelves the uh, wonderful insights of a lot of people and I'm I'm doing that with the uh, devotional guide that your pastor has put together. One of the things that's happened, uh, people ask uh, even I think here, how long have you know, known uh, Brother Smith? And the uh, fact is I've known about him uh, a long time. Uh, I've known about the moon too for a long time, but that didn't mean that I was close to it. And uh, we have, uh, we've crossed paths recently that's kind of, stirred up something in both of us and preached in a couple of meetings together. And I was telling uh, one of the members here that I don't know there's an invisible line somewhere just between Texas and, and the east. And sometimes you just have friends on one side, you don't have a lot on the other side. And what God has uh, allowed my wife and I to... Uh, to, to enjoy in this part of our ministry, we really didn't see it coming, is uh, God is putting into our lives new people. Now, I like my old friends, uh, and uh, I like being around the people I've been around a long time, but it's so, so refreshing to uh, see so many of God's people that you didn't even know about. And He didn't even clear them through you. You know, some, we think we may be the last church preaching the gospel. And I'm here to tell you there are a lot of good Baptist churches out there that want what you have heard this week. And I'm really um, amazed that God's opened that door for me. If you think about me anytime in the future, that may be God's way of saying, uh, pray for that little uh, skinny old bald-headed guy that was here one time and uh, just pray for his ministry as he travels around. And uh, we'll be so thankful that you've been a, a wonderful host here. And about the only thing that would have made it better is if my wife would have been here for you to be able to meet her. And hopefully we can uh, do that at another time as well. Now we're not looking at the Old Testament for anything about the church. But there's a truth I want you to look at in Deuteronomy chapter 8. Would you just go there with me tonight and... And I want to introduce a thought to you before I get into the message tonight about independent Baptist. Deuteronomy is the, the final book of Moses as he is a, sort of a closing his ministry. And God's giving to him a series of actually messages of encouragement to the people of God before he left. And I want to just rummage through chapter 8 so very quickly. I just want you to see the thought. If you mark your Bible, you might want to mark these verses. Num number 2, chapter 8 of Deuteronomy, verse 2. Thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these 40 years in the wilderness. Just look at that. Remember. Look over verse 11. Beware that thou forget not the Lord thy God and not keeping his commandments. Look down in verse 14. Then thine heart be lifted up and thou forget the Lord thy God. Verse 18 says, And thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it's he that giveth thee power to get wealth. And then verse 19, and it shall be, if thou do it all, forget the Lord thy God. I just wanted to lay that on you to start with tonight because we're all quick forgetters. We, we, uh, we take for granted what we know sometimes and we let that uh, pass away from immediate present memory. And I hope that maybe what has been laid in this church over the years has somehow been renewed. 
And uh, you remember your pastor teaching you that over and over again. And it's helped you to uh, better remember who you are. So I want to talk about who you are tonight and speak to this subject about who are independent Baptists. Now if you'll notice, that's, an, that's not a capital I, that's a small letter I. And that really does make a difference if you identify properly who we are. Because we are not a denomination. We are unaffiliated, independent congregations. And I don't want to make too much of a big deal out of that, but I do think some guys believe that since they are among other Baptists like them, that somehow there is a collective power and identity which really God never intended. Now when you talk about Baptists, man, you've got to have an encyclopedia to figure that out. They're American Baptists and Southern Baptists and regular Baptists and Reformed Baptists and Seventh-day Baptists and Primitive Baptists and Free Will Baptists and Missionary Baptists and Fundamental Baptists and World Baptists and Bible Baptists. Need I go on? I didn't look today for our new grouping that just came out because there will likely be one somewhere along the way to try to enter into that. Now, Baptists have generally been independent. I'll mention that in a moment. But there were groups of Baptists who began to join themselves to each other. In 1690, in the colonies there was a group that first organized called the General Six Principal Baptist. Now that comes out of Hebrews chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, where it talks about repentance from dead works, faith toward God, doctrine of baptism, laying on of hands, resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. There were a group of churches that believed that in common, and so they said, well, let's just create some kind of group they called it an association then. Following that group, 1690, came another group in 1707 called the Philadelphia Association. And it became a prominent part in early America with several Baptist churches joining together at least in fellowship with a very soft kind of organization about them. And I'm just going to ask a few questions along the way, and then since I'm doing the preaching, I'll answer them right. Uh, and I won't let you kind of uh, lead the, the answering part. But uh, I'll just answer this question. Do Baptist organizations outside the local church serve or subjugate local churches? Now the idea is that all these organizations that are sort of surrounding or maybe even intruding into some local congregations say that they are an arm of the church. They're an arm of the church for this. They're an arm of the church for that. They're, they're sort of like that idol you see that, that you see in India with all these arms, you know, that are all this. And it really becomes somewhat of a, of a monster that is created to assist what doesn't need any assistance at all. Historically, all Christian denominations eventually move closer and closer toward apostasy. No matter what kind of an organization, when you put people together, they, they may for a while sort of level out and, and maintain a few things, but generally and most often every time there is a decline in spirituality there is a compromise and if not a compromise at least certain concessions that are made now I'm using terms that you know about if you're married you have to make a few compromises you have to make, and if you don't like the word compromise, then you have to make some concessions. Now, my wife and I have never argued at all. 
But we've negotiated stuff to the ground. I'm telling you, we have talked through stuff that we did not completely agree on. And we just kind of have a rule in our home that we don't raise our voice unless the house is on fire. Amen. Come on, that's a good one. Take that one home. Remind somebody of that next time. There is not a single scripture in the Bible and in the New Testament principally that commands or instructs churches to organize into a group. Nothing at all. There's not a verse. Now, we, we do fellowship and we do, uh, we do extend our financial support to things that churches do, but... We can do that without any organizational body doing that. Some of you are thinking, why did we bring this guy in? This is exactly what my preacher says. Well, because you need to hear it again. Remember, don't forget. Remember, don't forget. Remember, don't forget. So what is organizational Christianity about? Well, it's about... uh, It's slow is what it is. It slows things down. It's it's about bigness. Everybody is into bigness. There's not anybody who doesn't like big except big traffic. Most people sort of move toward big population centers. We, We go to big coliseums or stadiums. Go to 7-Eleven, get a big gulp. It's all about bigness. Now in the Bible, when you look for something big, you won't find anything bigger than the Tower of Babel. I mean, they got together. Those people got together. They, it was a lot easier then. There was only one language before this. And they began this tower that they were going to build right into heaven itself and uh, intrude into the place of God. How'd that turn out? Not too well. God stepped in and confused their language. And uh, the project was stopped. And the people were scattered. God's, how are you going to impress God with bigness? He inhabits the heaven of heavens. So God's not really impressed. I, I know that you and I are from time to time. We, we want to be a part of something like that. And a lot of modern Christianity is uh, turning toward these mega churches that have a a large presence to which a person can say, hey, I'm a member of the the big church over here. God's not really either for it or against it. He's not impressed with, with bigness. Organizational Christianity is also about sameness. That is... a there is a circle drawn and you get inside that and then you, became, you become one of them. You, you, you take on some of their principles and practices and, and when you see one of them, you see another that's sort of like it and they become a little bit same. And the Bible, how'd that work out? Well, when Israel settled down in the promised land, they finally said, you know, we'd like to have a king like the other nations. They wanted to be the same as the other nations. And so God gave them someone that they regretted, which was King Saul. I don't don't believe sameness really is God's goal. If it was, why did he make all of us so different? Every one of us is different. And we are made that way because God wants this uniqueness, diversity, in life as well as in even in churches. And then there's a third reason for it. And organized Christianity is also for togetherness. That is, uh, you know, the more people and the more organizations you can get together, the, the more impressive that is. And that became a problem even in toward the end of the first century and into the second century in a problem known as the doctrine and the deeds of the Nicolaitans. Now from what I can study, and I I, I really, I'm I'm up to somebody teaching me something different if it needs to be, 
But it seemed like the Nicolaitans were those that were taking over smaller congregations and became bishops of towns where there were multiple congregations and the smaller churches kind of became part of the umbrella of a larger church. Now that kind of government, the bishopric kind of government is replicated today in the Methodist church. If you have some friends in that, I I have some in it, so I have some pretty up-to-date stuff from time to time about it. And if you know anything about them, their preachers don't go where God leads them. They go where their bishops tell them to go. And uh, they also don't own their own buildings. They're owned by the denomination. And so they have a lot of churches together, but there's really not a lot of that, uh, that kind of cohesion that is necessary to do the work of the Lord. So my conclusion with regard to whether organizations serve or subjugate is that at best denominational organizations are unnecessary and at worst they are unscriptural. If we're going to be New Testament Christians, then we should begin to organize our churches around the Bible and not some kind of business model. Help me out a little bit tonight. It's Wednesday. I'm leaving tomorrow. Now, there's some churches that have denominational organizations which they even as an organization do not control, but rather they are controlled by boards of officers who determine certain activities and uh, principles inside that whole group. Let me give you an example of that. In 2015, the International Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention made these three determinate changes among their missionary status, and here it is. Number one... They would now consider divorced men to be candidates for missionary work. That was the first thing they decided. If we're going to do missionary work in Southern Baptist churches, we can't discount that there may be a divorced person who would go ahead and be qualified. And so they made a decision. Now now think about it. A board of 12, 16, I don't know how many, I should have checked that out, made a decision for the whole Southern Baptist group of churches. If you think that's bad, think about this. Number two, in the, same, in the same resolutions, number two, they decided that they would also not not consider, that's a double not, and it's a pretty, pretty uh, wild thing, that they would not, not consider a tongue-speaking person if they, did not, if they were not disruptive. That is, that they, if somebody had spoken in tongues publicly or maybe even a prayer language, but they were, they were cool, they were respectful, then they would not discount a tongue-speaking person among their candidates in Southern Baptist missionary work. Now, if you're going like, whoa, well, it gets worse. Number three, in the same meeting, they also determine that baptisms from other Christian denominations would be accepted as long as it was full body immersion. So anyone's immersion would be accepted by the mission board, which would now begin to be a policy of a lot of churches. I'm I'm telling you, that's bad policy. That's anti-scriptural policy on every hand, and yet they did not simply have the gall to make that decision. They thought they had the authority to make that decision. Amazing, amazing. Now, it's sometimes represented by some that independent Baptist churches have a, quote, exaggerated emphasis upon local church autonomy and refuse to be identified among mainline denominational Baptists because they can't get along. Uh, You have got to buy my book. In this chapter, 
of which I'm speaking right now, I researched and found out that every Baptist group couldn't get along with another Baptist group, so they made a new group. It's not independent Baptists that can't get along. These in the groups can't get along. And I get along fine because I never got in to start with. An exaggerated emphasis on local church autonomy. What are churches supposed to be? They're supposed to be self-governing churches under the headship of Christ, obviously. Isn't that amazing? Here's what, an, here's what every honest Bible scholar and student agrees on. The churches in the New Testament were all independent congregations with no organizations beyond individual churches. Are you with me tonight? Jump in here anywhere you want to. Amen is going to the next point. If, if everybody gets excited Sunday, preacher, you may never let me come back in here. I know that. Hey, I'm just telling you folks that all the churches of the Bible and all the churches for centuries were without organizations. We're kind of the, the patterned group, independent Baptist are. Now let me, let me make sure you understand this. A few independent Baptists, me, do not speak for all independent Baptists. Mount Zion Baptist Church, St. Clair, Missouri, does not speak for other independent Baptist churches. I don't know if you understand that or not, but in my case, I respect greatly this church now that I've been here and know you better and know your pastor and his wife better and realize what kind of work has been done. I respect you a whole lot more than I did because I have the information to do it. But you don't speak for the church that I'm a member of. And our church doesn't speak for your church. There would be only a few occasions where you would even invite someone in with a situation of counsel, but with no authority. There's so many different kind of independent Baptists. I'm talking about the way we do stuff. Different sizes, different philosophies, different music, different colleges, different mission support systems. And they're all independent Baptist churches. Let me just make one correction, and I hope I don't step too far out here. If I do, I've got that round-trip ticket behind me. Independent Baptists are not a movement. Jesus did not start a movement. The apostles did not perpetuate a movement. Jesus started a church, and the apostles started churches. Movements are man-made. Churches are God made. Now I feel a lot better having said that. Let's go on. Charles Spurgeon became an independent Baptist the, the last five years of his life. He saw modernism creeping into the group of Baptists he was in, which was the Great Britain, uh, Baptist Union of Great Britain and Ireland, and uh, founded in 1813. But eventually in 1887, uh, Spurgeon had enough. And he, he withdrew his church from the fellowship of that group. And what was interesting was he pulled out and then the group met and voted him out. How do you vote somebody out that's already pulled out? Well, you're making a statement. And you know what the statement was? His brother Charles made the motion to censure him and the vote was 2,000 against Charles Spurgeon and seven for him. You don't know heart. I don't know of any other prominent Baptist in that day other than Charles Spurgeon. He's the guy they voted against, and he's the guy that stands out as being the Bible man of his days. I, I think it took somewhat of significant courage. And it wasn't self-serving at all for him to do that. 
And he was right because eventually that same organization within less than two generations became totally inundated with liberalism. So what are independent Baptists? Well, we are New Testament churches. Hopefully this week I've helped you to think again about, hey, that's the way our church does it. That, that's what our church believes. That's the way our church is structured. That's why we do church like we do it. Because it's a New Testament church. It's also a Baptist church. I'm glad to know that Mount Zion still has Baptist in their name. I think it clarifies for everybody what you are if you have that name in your identity, which sets also that you are an historical church. Now, you have some real history here. The church that I am a member of uh, on the last Sunday of September will be 83 years old. We were started in uh, 37, 1937. And so it's uh, quite, a, quite an older church, and uh, we're thankful for every year of that, and, and we thank God for all the faithful pastors. I'm named after the founding pastor. My dad was mentored by him, and who would have thought that my dad would pastor a church that his mentor would found, and then that I would pastor a church that my namesake founded. I mean, that's just, that's just so good. That's just thoughtful of God doing that, wasn't it? I thought it was. Historical. And, and even in churches that are just now beginning, they can begin their history as being God's churches. And then also, we are local churches. Now, I've made a big deal out of that because that's not as big a deal as it needs to be in some Baptist churches. They, they are more universally minded, which we somewhat disproved last night, I hope. And uh, what we need to realize is we are God's local church. And one thing I want to emphasize is that if you're God's local church here, He wants to do a local work through this church. He wants to work in St. Clair. He wants, he wants this church to reach your friends and your families and your neighbors. It's God's local church. That's what Baptist churches are. They're local churches. They're also a term that's kind of become necessary. For some of us, we are unaffiliated. Now, my t subtitle of my book is Neither Angry Nor Ashamed of It, and I've tried as much as I can to be a gentleman to those who are in disagreement with me because the fact is that we don't have to be joined up to anybody to be God's church. I don't have to have somebody else's stamp of approval. All I need to do is make sure that God's approval is on us. And so we're unaffiliated. Now, uh, I, I just let me go on, then I'll find, finally add something to that. We're Bible teaching churches. Principally, wherever I go, people are kind of tuned in to the Bible. And they want to know where the Bible is on that. They want to know what the Bible says. And so the churches that I'm aware of that are sound Baptist churches are Bible teaching churches. And what a phenomenal thing that we have that we would bring a Bible. Can I just intrude into an area here? And if it's not true, you can straighten it out Sunday. I'm all into electronic stuff. I really am. I've got an iPhone that's back in the back. I turned it off before I got here. I uh, left it back in the apartment. Don't go back there and steal it, okay? Uh, but anyway, I'm into that. I'm, I've got computers and, and I'm on Facebook and, and uh, stuff like that. But uh, what I'm telling you tonight is, and, and again, I want to be real soft with it. I'm glad that anybody reads the Bible but I'm kind of old school believing you need a copy of the Bible in your hand when you come to church. Now I've, I've got some and we're glad they come with any kind of thing where they can kind of just punch a number and get into it. But you need to be familiar with this book. You need to be able to turn to it to know where the books of the Bible are. And eventually you can get there and the way that that becomes the dominant way a church does it is the church does it the members begin to set a pattern that you are 
you're, you're coming to church. I don't care what size Bible you bring. I just think we need to have a copy of the Bible. Now, that's my, that's my own hobby horse. That's the only one tonight I'm going to get on. But I really like that. I really think it's right. I, I think that the first Bible I got, my mom and dad gave me when I surrendered my life to ministry at the age of 18, they gave me a Schofield study Bible. It's in a trophy case in our church, and both covers are worn off. I was a poor reader. I was a terrible reader. The only book reports I ever made in high school were by reading the back cover. And you cheaters know what I'm talking about. I could, and what I found out is that I could put enough fluff in there and my imagination was better than the book probably that I found out that if I put enough in there that kind of got the teacher kind of distracted what I found out she didn't read my stuff anyway if she had she would have failed me now I, I had a little bit of that too ninth grade half, half years of English yeah I don't know why my teacher didn't think I was that funny. I don't know about that. But. Okay, let, I'm back to it now, okay? That's all I want to say. We're a Bible. Ta bring a Bible. Bring a Bible. Bring a Bible. We're also missionary churches. That's really what identifies us as, as we, are, we are churches that, that uh, send missionaries, and those missionaries are church planters. Now, not every Probably not every kind of missionary needs to be a church planner, but principally, churches need to be planting churches. Now, they can do other things, I know that, but I really believe that a man, if he's called to go out and win people of the Lord, he ought to stay around long enough to build a church. Wherever that is, there, there were missionary churches. And then here's, here's kind of what I wanted to get back to a while ago. We also are are not so narrow-minded and so goofy that we can't fellowship with other churches. And we can let them have the liberty that they need to be what they are without, without us imposing unreasonable lines. And I'm expecting all the churches that I fellowship with, they're going to preach the right gospel out of this book and they're going to baptize believers with the authority of the church and, uh, and then they're going to conduct themselves. I don't know how they do it, but I would prefer and I think they should do closed communion, but you know, I can't impose anything on any other church, but I can have some influence if I'm not just so rude about it that I lose consciousness about the autonomy of a church. Okay, I, okay, I, I, okay. Yeah, okay, here we are. So, what can independent Baptist churches do. They can do anything God wants them to do. They can assemble. They can pray. They can give. They can preach. They can visit. They can win people to the Lord. They can baptize. They can train people to ministry in their own church. They can publish stuff. They can, uh, they can send their own missionaries. They can have uh, Bible schools for children. They can have camps for people. They can have uh, Bible conferences. I hear you do that here. Isn't it amazing that churches can, the Lord's churches, independent churches can do anything. Matter of fact, some of the things we do, other churches like, really, you can do that? You, can, you know your own missionaries? That blows some Southern Baptist away. You actually know, whoa, you know your missionaries. Yeah, and they get 100% of the money we send them. How about that for a financial plan? And they, they sometimes will even come back and tell us how they're doing. We know them. Independent Baptists can do anything anybody else does. And you say, well, now, some of the organization seems to have a lot of other things. Let me, let, may I take a time out here? You need to be aware that the culture is pushing a social engagement of churches into the culture today, which is not the business of the church. 
You've ever heard of woke? I've started a whole new, I've started a, a tablet of notes on a whole new glossary of terms because we're getting them thrown at us and we can just casually, oh, well, what does that mean, whatever. A lot of that kind of mentality has gotten into some churches and now they've gotten off the focus of the gospel and now they're into rescuing people in floods and doing whatever and I'm not against that. But I'm saying, folks, the principal work of the church is gospel work. And we can lose our focus about that. And don't let the culture tell you what you ought to be. And if you, Because if we do our work well, people will notice. There will be a good influence in the community. I'm telling you this, if you'll win an old drunk to the Lord, and by the way, that's, that's what the Bible kind of classifies them. If you'll win a drunk to the Lord and save his family, you'll have an impression on somebody. You'll impress a family for their lifetime. And if you'll put some marriages back together, now my wife and I, we, we never brought up divorce. We never used the D word. Now we use murder a lot. But we never used divorce. But I'll tell you, in, in our culture, there needs to be some rescue plans for some marriages because they're, they're, uh, they're very precarious but if you'll save a marriage, you'll make an impression. I believe this. If churches will love children, they'll make an impression. Send those buses out and love some kids. You know what? I've got, I've got a great memory of a young lady who, uh, whose, husband, whose father I visited who rode our bus, and then I went by and saw him. And He had just been in a motorcycle accident. His foot was up like this in a cast. He had been drinking, had a wreck, broke his leg, Ron Farr, and his little girl was saying, Daddy, I want you to go to church with me. You know what? She finally got him there. You know what? He got saved. You know what? He got baptized. You know what? He finally became a deacon. I don't take any credit for that. There's that little bitty bus girl. Somebody showed an interest in her, and God used that to save Ron Farr. He's in heaven now. Can't wait to see him when I get there. I'm just saying, folks, get off of it. Don't, don't let anybody intimidate you to say you can't do what you need to do. And the only thing I regret is I didn't think big enough. I didn't think far enough. I didn't think, man, what could our church do if we really had a vision and, and caught on fire? We can do anything and everything we're commanded by God to do. The identifying mark of a New Testament church is not to whom they belong, but what they believe and how they behave. I want to talk to you now about keeping the Baptist name. Let me, let me wrap this up pretty quick here. Uh, can you imagine uh, a world without names like there wasn't Mount Zion Baptist Church? Like uh, there wasn't Dollar General. It was just a building. And, and, and then when you walked into that unnamed building, everything in it was unnamed. Wouldn't that be a, wouldn't that be a crazy way to live? Every, every box you'd have to open up and say, that's not it. That's not it. I mean, hours upon hours of searching. Oh my, what is this? You know that kind of mentality is in the world today about Baptist churches? We don't want to self-identify. We're going to hold our identity back from people. Maybe, maybe they will give us a break. You heard about the little store that, that sold fish? And they had a sign up that said, Fresh fish sold here. And one of the friends came by, the proprietor, and said to him, you wouldn't sell stale fish with you. You don't need fresh up there, just fish for sale. So the guy took his sign down, painted over fresh, and now he's got fish for sale. And uh, fresh fish for sale. 
So the fish the fresh is off, and now they're just down to just fish for sale. And uh, so somebody else comes along and says, uh, you're not giving those away, are you? Everybody knows that you just can't walk in here and get it. You need to take that word sale off there. So he takes that off of there. And before you know it, somebody else says, why you got that fish sign up there? We can smell you three blocks off. Then the thing went out of business for lack of advertising. We, we, need to, we need to identify. And I'm going to give you four quick reasons why we need to keep the Baptist name. Number one, it's a matter of our history. History. I wrote a, a 300-year history of my family. And it, it was an intriguing history. Started in Pennsylvania, came down to North Carolina, came to Tennessee, and eventually came to Texas. And... Uh, my great-grandparents met each other in East Texas. Within a few weeks, they married. They got in my great-granddad's wagon, took a 200-mile trip to the Brazos River in Texas, built a log cabin, and had 11 children in that log cabin. My granddad was the youngest. What a great deal is my history. And people say, well, you know, there have been some bad history among the Baptists. Listen, there's bad history in the Locke family. But I'm not going to cut off a limb because i got some nut out on the far reaches of the limb. And just because there's been a little bad history maybe among Baptists doesn't need, mean that we need to separate ourselves from our history. You need to know the history. You need to appreciate there have been some people before you that have laid the path for you to walk on. Thank God for our history. Secondly, it's a matter of transparency. I think people feel jerked around when somebody doesn't identify. It's just uh, like, that's what you are? I have people that I know who have tried to think, well, we'd build a bigger church faster if we didn't have the hindering name of Baptist. And what they found out, that's not true at all. They made some people uh, aggravated because they came in and found out they were trying to be a Baptist church without a Baptist name. And what you do is you get non-Baptist people, you trim your doctrine down a little bit to attract them or keep them. And what we need to be, folks, is just transparent. We are what we are, and we're not mad about it. And people who walk in here are attracted to us because we know what we are. We have a history, and we're open about that. Thirdly, it's a matter of identity. If you don't identify yourself, someone else will identify you. If you don't say, this is what we are, these are our documents, this is our doctrine, this is how we're established, this is how it goes around here, somebody else will try to identify what you are. And I'm glad that Baptists who know what they are have identified in such a way that uh, we are who we are. And... I think it's the pastor's job to inform their congregation to know and stand for biblical doctrine and for their Baptist history. But that doesn't happen a lot. It, it happens sometimes casually or occasionally, but not as regular as it needs to be. I'm not telling anybody how to do it, but I'm telling you this. There are people who are amazed to find out what kind of history we have that is not regularly taught in Baptist churches. It's a matter of identity. How about an amen for the last point? All right, I'm excited at least anyway. It's also a matter of ministry. You know what Baptists are known for? Hence the word baptism. Do you know the only people we are committed to baptizing are believers? You know what ministry we ought to be involved in? Reaching people who need our Savior and who need our baptism. That's our ministry. And everything we do as a church should somehow reflect those two objects, our goals, that eventually whatever we're going to do is going to reach somebody 
So they'll come to the Savior and then eventually we'll get to disciple them and they'll get in the baptistry. Wouldn't that be good? Do you have any in your family that need a little bit of that at least? Somebody needs to be saved in your family? Somebody needs a good Baptist church that knows what baptism is? You know, you know when I talk to people about baptism, I never backed up and, <clears throat> and said, Oh, I'm sorry. I know this is going to hurt you, but you need Baptist baptism. My friend, folks have died for Baptist baptism. And I, I approach it as a great privilege. That, unknown to me at the age of 10 that I had this great heritage paid for by the blood of martyrs, why should I apologize to anybody for being a Baptist? Thank God for it. So as a matter of ministry, we need to be out and about beyond the walls of this church building, engaging the community and engaging the culture with the gospel so they'll know our Savior and know the first step of a saved person is getting in church. It's not the third step. It's not the fourth step. It's the first step of being saved. You're to get in a church by baptism. And what a privilege that. Are you glad you're, you, you've been on that path yourself? Are you glad about that? I am for sure. Let me close with a I.K. Cross quote. I think it's a good one. I.K. Cross was a missionary Baptist tied up with the, with the bunch down at uh, Texarkana with the Lord now. I could have written this, but it's, he wrote it. <clears throat> Jesus Christ called out his church while he was here on earth, commissioned it to go into all the world with the gospel message, and promised it his presence throughout it all, assuring them that the gates of hell would not prevail against what he had begun. How about an amen for that? He goes on to say, that faith is here today and has been here through all the ages in between and will be here when our Lord returns to gather us home. No amount of rewriting church history can change the heavenly record. And when we get there, we may well find that those whom the modern historians rejected as sets are those whom the Lord will reward as the faithful while the rest of us look on with wonder. I kind of really would just like to make sure that when I, when I get to heaven, I hear four words. Welcome home. Well done. That's all that's necessary. You know, if the Lord just say to Jerry, Jerry, I know there wasn't much to you, but come on in. Jesus made the way for you to come on in. Welcome home. And he said, you know, when, when I spoke to you when he was 18, he said, Jerry, I want you to be a preacher. And you were hesitant and you neglected my call for all those months. Finally, I just took you to the bottom. And you said yes. Oh, I've got a story to tell you about that. Whoa. Not tonight. You'll be glad for that. Freshman in college. Going to be an architect. Failing. All God. God didn't want me building a bunch of bad bridges. I saved the world from bad buildings and bad bridges. God called me, put me in the ministry. Still didn't stay completely on track. Got into some drag racing. I'm talking about professional drag racing. Me and my brother both. He had world records and just was off track. And then I got a handwritten note from heaven signed Uncle Sam. Jerry, you going to get serious about ministry or am I going to ship you over to Vietnam? Hey, I couldn't pass algebra, but I passed that one. I said, yes, sir. Got into Bible college, put my hand to the plow, never have looked back. 
And I'm thankful that God's merciful and patient with people. He is with you too. And the good thing is that I'm striving for that day when he says, come on in. Puts his arm around me and says, Jerry, look what we did. Look what we did. Look what, look, look what you amounted to. Nobody said that could happen. Nobody gave you uh, just any kind of chance at all. Is it going to make any difference? <laughs> look what we did together. I would say, no, it's not together. It's just you. I want to be a part of that winning team. We're going to be on the winning team. It's going to matter that you were in a scriptural church. God's going to see to that. God did not put an optional church in the world for you to figure out if you wanted to be a part of it or not. Scriptural churches are important. They're important to God. You're going to see that someday. Walk up to me in heaven and say, Hey, you're right, Brother Jerry. You're right. Reward for that. I'm glad about it. Thank you for letting me be your Bible teacher this week. And... Uh, Thank God for the privilege to be a part of his work. Stand with me for prayer, please. Now, Lord, tonight uh, we're just uh, glad to have been on this journey with you. And it's been so fast. It's, it's, it's just been in such a way that as we look back and see those early days of struggle and confusion and really just self-will sometime and realize how good you've been to us and how patient you've been with us. Lord, we're just humbled by that. And, and we don't take any credit for whatever good's been accomplished. But we want to we wanna meet you someday and and realize that we've, we've given it all. We, it, we've given everything that we could. And we've been faithful. Bless this church. Bless this good pastor and his wife and family. And God, I just pray that you will expand their borders and strengthen them. And use them here in this place as you have all these years. We don't take that for granted. We know that there will be attacks and there will be some... Vicious days ahead, but you're greater than that. So we're trusting you to work. And thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.